as you start to age and get a little bit older, you notice that weird things start to happen to your memory. And I don't just mean that you don't remember things as well, but weird things happen to your memories. Things that you once felt very certain that were truths and cornerstones in your life start to move into this weird fuzzy space where it's something that could have happened to you or something that might have happened to your friend but you think happened to you or something that maybe you saw on TV or something that happened in a dream after you ate too many Vienna sausages before bed one night and you can't quite tell what things really happened and what things didn't. This next story is one of those things. It's entirely possible that I tell you this story and then my mom pulls me aside later and says, hey, that never happened. But I'm pretty sure that it did. I remember being about five years old and taking swimming lessons at a public pool with a bunch of other kids. It was one of those class things that you sign up for. And on the first day, we learned the basics, the things that you learn the first time you get in the pool, how to tread water a little bit, maybe some doggy paddling, all the good stuff, the core essentials. And then for some reason, I ended up missing Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then came back on Friday. And on Friday, they march all of us little people over to the other side of the pool, which is a place that at this point, I had never dared venture. And one at a time, they had us jump off into the deep end. And so when it was my turn, because throughout the entirety of my life, I have been nothing if not obedient to authority. All right, that's probably not true. But in this particular instance, I did what I was told and I jumped into the deep end. And as I sank like a stone about four feet into my eventual eight feet demise, I realized that there's a good chance that on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, those might be the days they teach you to swim. And so I was sinking into the deep end, just assuming my fate, waiting for the sweet relief of death at the healthy age of five, when finally somebody jumped in and swept me up, and it was a little overwhelming. I was literally in over my head, and it felt like there was nothing that I could do about it. Sometimes diving into the deep end can be a little scary and can be a little overwhelming. As I mentioned earlier in our welcome time, we are taking a short break from the book of Luke as we've been looking through the teachings of Christ about the kingdom of God in the book of Luke. And we're going to be focusing in for just a few weeks about the mission and the vision and the direction that our church is going in. And one of the most important things that we can be doing as the church, being sharing our faith with those around us and also inviting people to come and to be a part of what God is doing here at Redeeming Grace Community Church. We talked last week about the importance of being a church that is both deep and wide, a church that is deep in our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of who God is and of of the beautiful doctrines that scripture unloads for us, of being deep in our relationship with God and also in our relationships with one another. But we should also be wide going out and bringing new people in, seeing people added to our number daily, people being saved, people being baptized, people becoming part of our local church here, finding their gifts that God has gifted them with, and then helping them learn and grow in Christ, and then sending them out to go and to do the same. And all of that can be a little overwhelming. I've told you on multiple occasions that one-on-one interactions, one-on-one conversations, first-time meetings, those kind of things, not my thing. I'm not good at it. I say weird things. I do weird things. I make my hands do weird things. It's awkward for everybody involved. And so trust me, when I'm asking us to go in to do these things, realize that I'm having to preach to myself probably more than anyone else. And so all of it can feel a little overwhelming. But when it comes to going to our deep relationships... 
about sharing our faith with the people closest to us, about inviting the people closest to us in our lives to come and be a part of our church and what we're doing, sometimes that can be the most difficult. But it's where we need to start. We can even look at the model that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to those early disciples about starting in their hometown and then branching out beyond that is also a relational guideline for how we should be sharing our faith and how we should be giving out that invitation, reaching to the people first that God has put in our lives, the people that God has assigned to us. And as we're going to see in just a moment, giving us stewardship of those relationships, that's the place where we have to start. And so this morning, we're going to talk about going deep in our inviting to church, in our sharing of the gospel. Looking at the deep relationships and the close personal connections that we have as opportunities to see people come to know Christ through our words and through our work. And so we're going to use the examples out of the book of John as Jesus calls his first disciples. And so we're going to be in John chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 35 to 51. So it's a little bit of a load this morning, but hang with me. And so this is the word of the Lord. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida in the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, as we always do, we thank you for your word and we thank you that as you give us a mission, as you send us out, that you don't send us out unprepared, but God, you've given us everything that we need to be your witnesses, to be your evangelists. And God, you've also given us the people to whom we should be sharing that message. And so God, I pray this morning that you would, as always, 
open our eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Help us to stand amazed by what you have done for us through your son and the incredible gift that you've given us, not only in salvation, but in our eternal hope that we can cling to. And that God, you would also open our eyes to see our relationships, to see the people you've placed in our life the way that you see them. That you would teach us to have a new understanding of what it means to be close to someone and that we would see our role and our mission in seeing our friends and family come to know you, come to be a part of a church body. and to follow you into the mission that you have in this world, to see your kingdom come. So God, we just give this time to you. We ask that you speak and that you teach us through your Holy Spirit. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As we look through this passage of Scripture, we're just going to take the example of these men as they come to follow Jesus and then immediately go and find other people and bring them along on this incredible journey, we're going to look at some things that we can apply directly into our own lives and learn from the example of Andrew and of Philip. And the very first thing that we need to recognize when we look at the importance of inviting people in our lives to church and sharing our faith with the people closest to us is that we must always be astonished by the gospel. The very foundation for being able to do this is to be wrecked and moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And this story begins with a very bold declaration. As John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by, he looks at a couple of his disciples and he says, Behold, there's the Lamb of God. Everything that we've been waiting for, everything that I've been talking about, everything that I've been teaching you about, there he is, the kingdom of God in its fullness, the one that God has promised us for generations and generations. He is here. And then we see these two disciples start to follow Jesus. Literally, actually following Jesus. This is a really fun thing because we see that a lot. We see Jesus say, come and follow me. And we see this nice conversion moment where they put down their nets and they follow after Jesus. But it says here that he says, come and follow after me. And then it appears as though they just start walking behind him for a while. And then Jesus turns around and says, hey, guys, what you doing? What are you looking for? And he starts to talk to him. And these two men start to follow after Jesus. And then Andrew, as he encounters Christ and who he is, he immediately runs and he finds his brother. And he comes to his brother and he says, this, this is exactly what he says. He says, we have found the Messiah. And in the same way, when Philip starts following after Jesus, he runs and he finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. You see, before these men could become evangelists, they had to become followers. Before they could go and seek after their brothers and their friends and lead them to follow after Jesus, they first had to follow Jesus. And they had to recognize that Jesus is absolutely worth following, that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And so in the same way for each of us, sharing the gospel requires trusting in the gospel. And sharing Jesus requires knowing Jesus and requires loving Jesus. 
And so before we can ever do this work that we're called to do, we have to know the one to whom we're called. We have to be eternally and forever changed by the gospel. We have to recognize the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We have to turn away from our sins and walk towards Christ and be followers of Jesus ourselves. And so if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ before, then let's not leave without knowing what that means. Because the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, just like Drew was talking about before our confession of sin. Every single one of us has sinned. All of us have fallen short. And yet, God loved the world so much that even though there was nothing we could do to get to God, He sent His one and only Son into the world to not only preach this good news of the kingdom that we've talked about over the past several months, but He gave us the ability to walk into the kingdom's doors. By Jesus taking on himself the punishment for our sin, suffering and dying for us so that anyone who believes in Christ can have forgiveness of sins, can have new life. The old is past and the new has come. But also we see on that third day after Jesus was crucified and died that he rose again from the grave and giving us the promise that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will have that same resurrection. That if we're baptized with Jesus in a death like his, we'll be raised again to new life and we will be with Christ forever. And so if you've never put your faith in Jesus before, please don't leave this place this morning without talking to me or one of our other pastors or community group leaders about what it means to follow after Jesus, to be saved by grace and be baptized into the family of God. For those of us who are here and have trusted in the gospel before, we have the calling to be followers of Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to fall deeper in love with Jesus each and every day, to go deeper in our knowledge of the gospel and of God's word, and to constantly be in awe of what God is doing in and through us. And we have to see the beauty of the message to recognize the importance of sharing it. We have to see the beauty of the church and what God has put together, not just here at Redeeming Grace, but as the church all over the world and throughout the ages. We have to see how beautiful and how important that is so that we can recognize our need to put the invitation out there. And so we have to first be followers so that we can then be evangelists. And we have to always be astonished by the gospel. The next thing that we see happen in this passage of Scripture and the thing that we can understand in our own lives as well is that we should recognize relationships as divine appointments. You've probably heard this before, maybe you've said it before, but the old adage goes, you can't choose your family. You can't pick the people to whom you're born to. You can't pick the house that you grow up in. We have absolutely no ability to make that work the way that we want to. And a lot of times that's how we view our relationships. Maybe we view them as biological in nature, Maybe we look at them as something that's unavoidable when it comes to our friendships and in the relationships we do choose. Maybe we look at those things as coincidental. And maybe there are moments in our lives where we sit down and reflect about those things. What if I was born in a different family? How did I get there? You look around maybe a room filled with your friends on a particularly nostalgic night and you might say, man, I remember how we all came together when we ran into each other at that grocery store, we went to school together, or all these things that seem very happenstance and very coincidental. But I imagine most of the time, more often than not, we rarely really consider the nature of our relationships at all. 
We just take them as something that are assumed and something that's just happening in our lives, and we just go through the flow of everything that happens. But being a follower of Jesus, as we've seen, as we've looked through the teachings of Christ in the book of Luke and how he calls us to radically see the world differently and to see the world upside down, we have to understand that everything in our life, because of Jesus, has to be viewed differently. Whether that's the sunset on a pretty night, Events in our world, our jobs, our relationship, everything from the mundane to the incredibly supernatural is completely changed and altered because we are called to see that through gospel eyes. We're called to see that with the eyes of Christ. And our relationships are no different. And so because of this, none of our relationships, none of the things that we can easily take for granted or think about as being biological or coincidental, none of those things should ever be seen as ordinary. None of them are accidental, but they all have meaning. They all have purpose. They are all designed and given to us by a good and loving God. The good ones and the bad. And just like we've seen Jesus teaching us that every aspect of our lives is something that is given to us by God and entrusted with us by God to be good stewards or good managers of, our relationships are no different. They're given to us by God. And he's called us to be good stewards or caretakers of those relationships. And so this deep kind of evangelism, this deep invitation when it comes to seeing our friends and family come and be a part of our church family, it requires a completely new understanding of what relationships are. And we have to make a new commitment to make those relationships count for the kingdom of God. So look at that as the first and foremost, a mission field that God has placed us in with a purpose and for a reason. And so we fall in love with the gospel and that changes the way that we see everything, including our relationships. And so we start to look at these familiar faces and say, okay, there's something different about the way that I should interact with you. And once we're able to see our relationships that way, then it becomes time for us to go into action. And we have to learn to share the message that matters with the people that matter. When these new followers of Jesus here in John chapter 1 started spreading the news, it wasn't random. Andrew didn't just run around from town to town and start telling everybody that he could about Jesus. Philip didn't start going through the streets and just finding anybody laying around there saying, hey, I found the one that Moses was talking about. But Andrew went to his brother. And Philip went to his friend, Nathaniel. They went to the people that were closest to them. And all of us have layers of friendship. And you can usually identify what friends and what relationships belong in what layer based on if you have that big kind of news, that life kind of, life-changing kind of news, the people that you go to first. Those are the people that were closest to you. And then we can see the trickle-down effect about the people who find out when they find out about this big news. We can see that we all have layers to our relationships. And while we certainly have a calling to invite everyone that we encounter to church, and while we have the calling to share the gospel with anyone and everyone that we can, and we're going to talk about that next week, our starting point has to be the closest places of our life. And it's often easier to go wide than deep. 
And that's true even for me. I told you I don't like new conversations. I don't like meeting people for the first time. I'm awkward. I'm weird. We know all this. It's been established. We could probably put it in our church constitution and bylaws, maybe on the website. Just know if you talk to me for the first time, it might be awkward. I might say something weird. And so it's hard for me to go up to somebody that I've never met before and move the conversation from something ordinary into something gospel-related. It's hard for me sometimes to get up the nerve to just even invite somebody to church that I've never met before. But it's a lot easier for me to do that than it is for me to go to the people that I've spent most of my life with. The people who know me better than anyone else knows me. The people who have been there in the good times and the bad. The people who I have to see again on Monday morning. The people who are there constantly and presently. Those kind of deep relationships sometimes are much more difficult to crack through when it comes to sharing our faith and when it comes to these church invites. But if you had that life-changing kind of news, whether it's getting a new job or getting into the school that you've been trying to get into for so long or having a baby or whatever these big monumental things are, we don't hesitate. We go straight to the people closest to us because we want them to celebrate when we celebrate. When something difficult's happening in our lives, when we are sick or somebody around us is sick, or maybe we lose that job that we've been longing for for so many, time, so many years, maybe we are struggling in school or something difficult is going on, we still go to those people in our lives because we want them to mourn when we mourn, and we want the comfort of our friends and family. But we have something so much bigger than any difficulty in our life. We have something so much better than any victory that we see happen. We have something so much more important than any news that we could ever possibly have. And so why would we possibly delay in bringing that news to the people closest to us? So let's do an experiment. That's not really an experiment. Let's do an activity together. Close your eyes for me. I know that's awkward. I know it's a weird thing to say in a group of people. When close, you have to trust me a lot right now because I could just steal all of your stuff while your eyes are closed. But just do me a favor and trust that I won't rob you blind. And close your eyes for me. Imagine now that you have life-changing news, whatever that would be for you, the biggest news that you could imagine happening right now. And I want you to picture the first faces that you would take that news to. Do they know Jesus? Are they part of a church family? If the answer is no, then you know where you need to start. If the answer is yes, then move to the next person and the next face and the next face. And as you get to these faces and you recognize that these people in my life need to hear the gospel, these people in my life are not followers of Jesus, these people in my life don't have a church family to love and support and care for them, as you see these faces, that is your mission field. You can open your eyes now in case you were waiting on me to tell you. These faces that God has put in our lives, that God has ordained to be a part of our community, of our tribe, those are the people that we are called to go to first with the good news of the gospel, sharing it in our words and in our actions, and also inviting them to come and be a part of what God is doing here at Redeeming Grace Community Church. We have to share this message that matters with the people that matter in our lives. And then we have to learn to be persistent and patient. As Andrew goes and gets his brother, Peter, Peter came ready. Andrew says, we found the Messiah, and Peter goes to see Jesus, and it's a very short interaction. It's got to be a very strange interaction because Jesus changes his name. He tells him he's going to go by something different now, and Peter just says, yep, that sounds good. I'm going to go. 
But Nathaniel did not come so eager and so ready. In fact, when Philip told Nathaniel that he had found the one, this is a big thing that, that Philip is saying to his friend, the one that Moses was telling us about generations ago, the one that all of the prophets were writing about. We have found that guy, and his name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And then Nathaniel gets a little territorial, and he says, <laughs> Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's a garbage place. I got to see this to believe it. But he does go. And he comes and he interacts with Jesus. And we see everything change. In an ideal world, all of our friends and family would be like Peter. We would invite them to come to church and they would come running. We would tell them about Jesus and they would say, I want to see this. Take me and show me. And maybe there are some times in our life when that happens, when we share the gospel for the first time and God just opens up those doors and those people just trust in Christ and through this work that you've been faithful to do, you see immediate and amazing results. But the reality is we don't live in an ideal world. In fact, we live in a world that is broken by sin. And far more often, people are going to respond like Nathaniel and even more harshly as we share our faith and invite people to church. And one of the most difficult things about these deep invitations is that it is awkward at best and painful at worst whenever these people that we love and that we care about and that are a constant part of our lives say no. When they look at us and they say, no, that's not really for me. Or maybe it's even more strongly worded that. Maybe it's how can you believe these things? Why do you waste your time? Why would you do this? Or maybe it's the frustrating part of saying, yes, absolutely. I'd love to go to church with you. I will see you on Sunday morning. And you're excited and you're ready and you're hoping that Chris isn't going to say anything weird. And you're hoping Lydia picks out all your favorite songs. And you get all your stuff and you're sitting in your seat and you save little spots beside you using whatever paper and Bibles that you have because you're ready for your friends to visit. And you wait and you wait and they don't come. And so you see him Monday morning, you shoot him a text, like, hey, man, I missed you. Where were you? I thought you were coming to church. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Something came up. I'll hit you next week. I'll be there next week. And then next week, and then the next week, and then next week. And it gets awkward, and it gets weird, and everything becomes a little more stressful. And this brings about the need to find balance. To recognize, first and foremost, that we can't save anyone, we can't move anyone's heart, that the Bible screams over and over again that salvation belongs to the Lord. And that it's the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to save anyone at all. But we also have to recognize that visiting a church can be incredibly intimidating for the first time. Especially if the people in your life have never been to church at all. Or sometimes it's even more difficult if maybe they grew up in church but haven't been in church for a very long time. This is a difficult thing that we're asking people to do. I know I've mentioned this before, but... It's been a long time. I don't visit churches very often. That would be kind of awkward if I just didn't show up one day because I was at somebody else's church. I feel like you guys would be a little upset with me. But about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to do that. I was going to a conference, and there was a church that I knew about that met on Sunday nights, and I stopped in there, and all of my weird introvertedness stuff that happens in my head just reared its head again because I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. Do I take a card? Do I not take a card? Do I leave something? Do I not leave something? A lot of people didn't talk to me and that was kind of awkward and that was kind of strange. And we'll talk about the importance of that in a couple weeks, but I was overwhelmed. And 
if I would have had my children, I would have had no idea what I would have done because I've, I've never had to check my child into a nursery before. I just let them run free because I assume some of you here are just going to grab them and let them lead them in the right place. My kids know all the little details and nooks and crannies here. And so even for me, as someone who grew up in the church, someone who has served in the church for 14 years now, someone who's a pastor of a church, visiting a church for the first time was overwhelming. And so we're giving a very hard ask when it comes to sharing our faith and asking people to come to church with us. And so we have to learn to be patient. And we have to learn to be gentle with those closest to us. Because it can be, especially if we have a very close relationship, it can be easy to be very impatient and get frustrated with the people in our lives. And it can be very easy to be harsh with the people in our lives. And so we have to learn to be patient to put it in God's hand, to be faithful, but also to deal with them gently like our God deals with us. But this also doesn't mean that we're one and done. It doesn't mean that we share our faith once or we invite somebody to church and they say, no, thanks, that's for you, not for me. And we say, okay, carry on, have a good day. I'll never ask you again. We also have to be persistent. But we realize again that we're not asking a small thing. And so the response may take time and it also may take work. And so we have to be able to keep the invite going. We have to be constantly sharing our faith. And sometimes that's as simple as making faith and making church a part of our regular ongoing vocabulary. I think for too long, especially inside of the church, especially in the evangelical church, we've looked at sharing our faith and inviting someone to church as something that is so system-driven that we have to have a little speech. And so if we're going to invite someone to church, if we're going to talk about our faith, it has to start with a nice little hook, like, have I told you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and have a bunch of Bible verses ready, and have a very specific card or something that we're going to hand out or give to them. But we can learn to just integrate Christ into our daily language. Talking about what happened this weekend with football games and with fun things that happened and with a full day of yard work that was miserable and covered in mosquitoes, that might be a very personal thing for me just yesterday, but it was awful because it's September, but it's actually July still for some reason, and it was miserable. And also, I got to come to church today and be with all my favorite people, and we got to worship God, and we got to celebrate that, and that's something to talk about. We can talk about what we've learned. We've talked about how God has changed and shaped our lives. We can make that a normal part of our language. And we can also use discernment on how often we should straight up share the gospel with someone in our lives and straight up tell them this is who Jesus is and this is how you can follow him and this is how you can be saved by grace. We can straight up invite people and use discernment on how often we should do that saying, hey, just come to church with me this Sunday. And we can also use that discernment to know when to give some space and say, you know what? It's been a few weeks. I've invited you every week. You don't have to like have this conversation with them particularly, but in your head, you can be thinking these things. Say, it's been a few weeks that I've been inviting this person. I'm just going to give them a space. I'm going to give them a couple weeks. Everything's going to be normal. Everything's going to be natural, but I don't want to just bug them to death. But then a couple weeks, I'm coming back. And I'm going to invite again, and I'm going to invite again, and then maybe I'll give some space, and then I'll invite again. But we can use the discernment that God has given us to know the rhythm and the pace that we can have when it comes to being patient and persistent and sharing our faith and inviting people to church and then trusting God to use our work for his glory. And then finally, we celebrate new life and new hope. At the end of Nathaniel's story, we see Jesus reveal a very important truth here. He says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus says, hey man, listen, you might think Philip's the one that brought you here. 
but man, I knew you before Philip knew you. I saw you under that fig tree before Philip went to get you. And and Nathaniel saw that and said, oh man, this is real. You're the one. And Nathaniel left everything behind and followed after Jesus. Jesus says, you think that's amazing. You think what this little interaction, you think that was cool. Wait till you see what else I've got for you. You're going to see something far beyond what you could ever imagine and understand. And not only that, now Nathaniel walked out of his old life and into a new eternity with Christ. And that was cause to celebrate. Because Philip brought his friend to Jesus and then Jesus did the rest. And Philip got to watch a real life miracle right in front of his eyes. You see, there's a danger in starting to pat ourselves on the back or maybe pat our church on the back as we see people saved, as we see people visit our church, as we see baptisms. It can be easy to look around and say, man, we are doing some pretty amazing work in this community. But Paul reminds us of the deep truth of salvation in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Or excuse me, he, <clears throat> he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Paul says it doesn't matter how you came to be a part of this faith. It doesn't matter how you were saved in this because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who was the one doing the talking. God was the one doing the saving. And so he says, who am I and who is Apollos? We are nothing but workers for God that God has assigned to go out and to use our relationships well and then step back and watch God work. And so we need to learn to see salvation and growth with spiritual eyes and recognize that every visitor that comes into our church, every salvation, every baptism is an actual real life miracle happening before our eyes. And when it happens, especially in the lives of those closest to us, it should move our hearts to awe and to worship and celebrate the God who saves. Because exactly what Nathaniel gained is the same thing that anyone who trusts in Christ will gain as well. God says, you think this is amazing that I've saved you out of darkness and into marvelous light? Wait till you see what I have for the rest of your life. Wait till you see how I'm going to use you for my good and for the good of others around you and for your own good as well. And wait until you see the reward that I have stored up in heaven waiting for you, an inheritance fit for a king. And so when we see that happening in the lives of those closest to us, we should celebrate that. And so in the midst of patience and persistence, we are supposed to celebrate new life and new hope and all the little baby steps that happen along the way. As maybe we see someone start to soften to the gospel, as we see responses start to change, as time after time we share our faith with our friends and family and we invite them to church, 
On those moments when somebody walks into church for the first time, maybe a little worried that the whole building is going to fall down around them because it's been so long since they've been inside the doors. But as we see our friends and family come for the first time and sit in a seat, as we see them hear the gospel for the first time, and as we see friends and family go through the waters of baptism individually and as a church, we should be in constant states of rejoicing. And so this is the work that we have to do. And again, we've done what we can to make that a little easier because it is hard and we won't know that prayer is such a crucial part of this. And so we have chair packets that we gave out last week. If you didn't get one, there's some sitting up here in the front and they have cards inside. And one of those cards at the top just says deep. And there is a place for 10 names on this list. That we're asking all of our people just to write 10 names of people in your life whether it's a super close relationship or something that's more of an acquaintance, but somebody that you see on a regular basis and interact with on a regular basis, we're going to write those names down and we're going to spend time praying for those names. But not only are we going to spend time praying for those names, but we are going to make a commitment to share our faith with these people and to invite them to church. And as we see God move and as we see God's faithfulness, as we pray and as we share and as we invite, we're going to be moved to celebration, because we know that it's not based on our work, but it's based on what God is going to do in the lives of those around us through our faithfulness and through our work. And so let's go deep in sharing the good news of Christ and inviting people to church and then step back and see what amazing things God does as he adds to our number those who are being saved. Let's pray.